Was that the year Scott Cumming kicked like 100 goals? He didn't kick 100 goals, but he won the Coleman and Lloyd got full forward in the All-Australian team. And you could hear the howls from Perth. I remember when Joe got a, got in over Ben Brown in 2017, despite Brown kicking a couple more goals. Yeah. And the North Melbourne supporters going absolutely ballistic. Well, dial that up by a factor of about 11, because <laughs> there's a you know, shitload more West Coast supporters than there are Norths. And that's what it was like in 99. They were absolutely off their tree. <laughs> it was all a big Vic conspiracy. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, look, right. I, I don't think they got too much wrong in terms of the squad. I just think... Save you know, it for the podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the finals edition of the Big Footy Bombercast for season 2021. That's right, it is a finals edition. The Bombers are there, and we will be playing the Bulldogs this coming Sunday down in Tasmania. But before we dive into it, I'll introduce the my co-hosts for this evening. And the first one off the rank is, is the Grizz. How are you, mate? Uh, I'm good. I'm in a good mood. Bombers are in the finals, which uh, uh, helps with all the lockdown to take your mind off it. I'm excited. I think we're in with a shot. And our other guest this evening is a man that I know is suffering through the lockdown as well, and that is Dave. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, look, I'm very excited that went for a walk before with one of my boys, and I said we wouldn't have thought at the start of the year we'd have been going for a walk after round 23, and we're in the finals because I just didn't see it. So, yeah, I'm wrapped. Very happy. Yeah, well, and we will touch on finals uh, very, very shortly, but we did, of course, play a game yesterday, Grizz, and look, I think, actually, I think it was Gumbletron who said on the board, as soon as St Kilda won yesterday, you just knew it was going to be an easy Essendon victory, whereas if Fremantle had won, it probably would have come down to the last kick of the game, and and, and we probably would have either won or, or lost after the siren, but um, look, I'll be honest, yesterday's game was good, I enjoyed Draper's performance against Grundy, but, but I didn't really have a whole lot new to say other than what we've said about our squad throughout the year based on yesterday's game. Yeah, look, it was as soon as St Kilda won, uh, good tip, by the way, Bont. That was uh, <laughs> 24 hours out you tipped uh, St Kilda. Mate, I was, all, I was all over that. I think Law yeah. was, ready about, was about ready to stab me at one stage. I was <laughs> expecting to get a express a express bomb in the post delivered. We all thought you were going to do a Kelvin with the Peter Wright and uh, just absolutely mozzles, but it's all good. Um yeah, it's interesting. The game, as soon as St Kilda won, you could tell the air just sort of fell out of it. It was sort of like West Coast, when Brisbane were trying to get into the fall, raised a notch to try to stop them. And I think if something was on the line, we'd probably would have got a more fierce competition in Collingwood. But it was a pretty pretty flat game. Look, we did what we had to. We, we broke their spirit too early, got out to a good lead at halftime, and then just sort of cruised uh, towards the end. I thought some... Really good signs from fringe players, maybe like Alec Waterman, Tom Cutler. There's going to be some push for spots from guys coming back in like Tipper and Langford and some other guys. So you could tell there were a couple of guys out there trying to prove a point to stay in the team. But overall, it was good. I thought the forward line performed well. Dev Smith played his best game, I reckon, for 18 months, which was good to see. But all in all, we got to the game, no injuries, and it was probably the least stressful afternoon I've had all year watching footy. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, Chris. I watched most of the St Kilda Frio game avidly to to, uh, to see whether I'd be sitting there chewing my fingernails off a bit later in the afternoon. And yeah, once that game was done, it, it sort of meant we could all just sit back and relax and watch the game and hope that there'd be no injuries, which I think other than Perko, looked like he was a bit proppy after going off early. Everybody seemed to get through the match well. Peter Wright in the first half was outstanding. You know, took some big marks, kicked four goals, 
Dev Smith was back to his absolute best and not just playing well, but playing smart footy, unselfishly dishing the ball off. None of that stupid, you know, hitting bikes after they've kicked the ball. It was just a really, really good performance. Draper, I thought the longer the game went on, the more he got into it. I think Grundy was all you know, on top of him a bit early. And I think the stats, sort of, if you look at the first half clearances and hitouts, we were a bit behind, but it was pretty close by the end. But all in all, it was it was a reasonably solid hit out without being, you know, absolutely insane. So bring on next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about next week, Dave, because as I said, yesterday's game, it was a pleasing win, but there's not much to talk about that we haven't really already said about, you know, the likes of Redmond playing exceptionally and, and Ridley and everyone else. So so we will move on to next week. And I think Riz summed it up well for mine, Dave, in that yesterday, some of the fringe players really stood up. I mean, if if you'd asked me probably prior to yesterday and said, look, who's going to be dropped? I would have said, oh, well, uh, Waterman comes out for, for Langford. But, you know, Waterman's kicked four goals. So he's almost become undroppable after that performance. And at the moment, I think there's two changes that can be made. And I think Dylan Clark out for tippers are just a no-brainer. And I think if Langford's fit, he comes in for Durham on, on that wing. But, um, I mean, how do you see it? Do you, do you see any changes different to that? No, actually, I don't. But when I was, but my son and I were walking before, and we were chatting about, you know, if we do make any changes, who comes out? And Clark was the first one, and then it was, it was really down to, yeah, you know, if Perkins is fit, it's probably Durham, as stiff as he'd be, coming off 15 possessions. Yeah, you know, a month ago, you'd have been looking at maybe Dev Smith because of the way he was playing, maybe Cutler because of the way he was playing. But with the way that they've played in the last three or four weeks, you really couldn't omit them. The interesting thing for me is going to be what they do with Cox. Do they play him as the emergency again, or do they risk bringing him in for a final when he hasn't played in a couple of weeks? But yeah, they're, they're the only changes that I can see. I couldn't see them bringing in anyone other than Langford and Tip and Woody. They've just missed too much footy. Yeah, I, I would say the changes. If Tip is right to go, he's in, and Clark's the one to go out. I think Clark's been solid for us, but I thought, and I posted this on the board, that there were a couple of times where the heat was on and his disposal was just lacking. There were a couple of opportunities to go inside 50 where he put it straight over the top of right and string his head instead of just hitting up the lead. And I think as honourable as he's been, he probably loses his spot to the better player in Tipper. The question will be Langford. You've got to get Langford through. There's no point bringing him in for him to break down halfway through the match. If he comes in, I think it's Durham or Cox. It's interesting with the sub, but like Cox can play more positions. So you can play forward, wing, back, uh, a little bit of a little bit of relief ruck, sorry, if you need to. But Durham has been in the better form, so I would almost go Durham as the sub because as good of an experience it would be for Cox. We want to win this game, and so if we have to bring someone on, I think Durham's showed more, particularly against the Bulldogs when he had a really good game to cement his spot in the side. But it, it's great to have guys pushing for selection. You know, guys like Caldwell and Hooker as well. Caldwell, I can't imagine we'd bring him in off a pracky match and no no um, senior games before the finals, but it, it's sort of weird to be going into a final series and, and having guys pushing for selection and having to talk about some unlucky misses. It's certainly a change from previous years when we've scraped into the finals and, you know, sort of been the walking wounded or, or without a Ruckman. I think the other thing to take into account too is, you know, where the game's been played we're playing in Tasmania. We're not playing under the roof at Marvel. The forecast from what I can see is for windy and a little bit of rain, not a lot. So I think that mitigates the risk of maybe having Durham as the sub instead of Cox, even though Cox gives you more options. 
So I wouldn't be too unhappy if that was the side. But Langford, as you said, he's got to be cherry ripe because if he does his hamstring five minutes into the first quarter, yeah, that'd be disastrous. It is actually meant to rain on, on Sunday down there. So that sort of probably weighs heavier, heavier towards Durham playing than, than Cox. The only question I have is there was speculation that Durham may have had a slight hamstring twinge during the week. So so if he doesn't get up or if there's any doubt over him as well, obviously, you know, then Cox would probably end up being the sub should Langford get up. Um, I, I do just want to touch on Dylan Clark, though, because you, you did raise Grizz that that Durham sort of cemented himself against the Bulldogs. Well, well, Clark against the Bulldogs, you know, he had 19 touches. And then last week against the Cold Coast, I think I think he had about 16 or 17. He kicked a goal. And this time last week, you know, he was probably in front of Durham, maybe even in front of Dev Smith, Alec Waterman. Like he was probably in front of a few blokes. And then, you know, these other blokes just have a ripper of a last round. And all of a sudden, the poor bloke gets gets shafted out of out of a, out of a final spot. Um, you know, should Tipper get up, obviously, it just shows the the competition for spots in the side at the moment is is just very very high. And you can't even afford to have one bad week because you know then you could be unfortunately the the bloke you know who misses the chair in the in the in the go round. So it's great to see and something that, yeah, I, I don't think we've seen at the Eston football club for, for a very long time. Yeah. Just with Clark, uh, the reason I, he's out for Tipper is for, for mine, at least is purely positional. I think you're right. His last three weeks have been good by Clark. And I'm just looking at the forwards. Cause if you're bringing Tipper, you're not bringing out a, a wingman or a midfielder. Clark's probably ha- was the least efficient forward. I would say not to say he was poor, but the least efficient forward, the last uh, last week and and maybe against uh, the Gold Coast he got a lot of ball but he wasn't necessarily effective hitting the scoreboard he might have snagged one so it was purely positionally whereas I think Durham plays on the wing so you're not necessarily bringing him out for Tipper to come in but he he's definitely um, potentially coming out if Langford's right and um, if it's raining I don't think he play Cox either way to be honest um, Bulldogs have a big midfield um, if it's wet and it's rain the ball's going to be on the deck a lot you don't want to 200 centimetre skinny wingman as your sub because <laughs> that's not the sort of body type or position you really need if it's going to be a, a wet slog of a game. No, you, you need someone with you know, a little bit more weight as we saw uh, at the start of the season when we played Brisbane in the wet. We, we had a lot of inexperienced and, and uh, smaller bodies out there compared to theirs and you know, I would have said up until yesterday Def Smith was in the gun but now, with his game yesterday and his experience and maturity in terms of his body, I wouldn't be dropping him for a final that's going to be played in the wet. And I think that also puts paid to any sort of romantic notions of of uh, Hooksy coming back in as much as I'd love to see it. With Francis and Peter Wright in the forward line, we can't afford to play three talls, not if it's raining. No, look, the only reason, the only way I saw Hooker coming back in was if Laverde got done for his little... Uh, rib tickler behind play, and then you know, I, then I would have thrown Francis back and 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 brought Hooker in as as the extra forward. Um, but but I I actually haven't seen the the match review details. No charges. So no charges. So yeah, I mean, I, I figured by now if if he'd been suspended, I probably would have read it on the board. So unfortunately for Kale, I, I don't see a way forward um for him him in in our side at all unless there's injuries. Um, you know, when we do play the last day in September, maybe we bring him in as sub just to give him the premiership medal. Because I don't know about you boys, but even watching him get it in Perth, um, it would be sensational to to see Kale accept a medal. But um, obviously we have to get over the dogs first. 
the other one I want to talk about, Dave, is the ground. I mean, if I was the Western Bulldogs, and and there's been talk this year that the AFL has shafted us and 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 all that, and you know. We've had different opinions, and I think we had a good discussion here last time on it. But if I was the Bulldogs, I'd be filthy because Tasmania showed last time how Essendon-centric it was. And and they've essentially sent the Bulldogs down in a home game into what you could probably call our second home. Yeah, look, uh, they, they would probably be filthy from that perspective. But the, the, the other thing about it is I don't think it really matters where the game's played. If there's a crowd, we're going to have an advantage, maybe not quite to the degree that we'll have in Tasmania. From what I read, it was their choice to go to Tasmania because they didn't want to go to Adelaide and do the isolating that the South Australian government has mandated for teams travelling into Adelaide and back now. I think they did request Adelaide, Dave. Did they? Uh, okay. They did, but um, the the quarantine from in and out in Adelaide was going to be more difficult with three games there over the weekend, whereas Tasmania right. allowed them to fly in and out. Yeah, after the games. So yeah, I think I that think was, was the reason. So the Bulldogs actually got stiffed because they finished fifth and Port Adelaide finished second and Melbourne finished first and wanted Adelaide. They um, got the their Bull- choice. The Bulldogs got stiffed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I think at the moment the Bulldogs are saying that they were happy to go to Tasmania, but I think they're very much just towing the party line now that the AFL has dictated yep. and And it's rough because, I mean, they could have sent them. We could have gone to Brisbane, real, really. You know, it, I, I, I see what you mean by the crowd. We definitely would have outnumbered them no matter where it was. But, yeah, oh. after seeing what we did to Hawthorne, it's a yeah. rough task for a home game. Oh, it is. And, and I think they'd probably be more annoyed by the fact that they probably played better on the Adelaide Oval than that they do down in Tasmania. I think if the match had been scheduled for, for Adelaide, they'd be shorter favourites than they are. Uh, bigger ground suits this sort of running game a bit more. I'm not sure that the crowd so much has an impact on the players. I think it's probably more the ground, but yeah, we'll see. I think the conditions are going to have the biggest effect on the game. If there's the, the standard four-goal wind at Lonnie, um, mm. that all of a sudden creates an element of chaos within the structure of the game. It's also not like um, an Eddie had where it's pristine and it's sort of tactic versus tactic, quality versus quality. The wind creates this sort of chaotic element to it where if the wind is just 5 to 10% harder blowing when you're kicking into it than they're kicking into it, it can just become so difficult. And it probably suits their handball-happy style, to be honest, uh, more than maybe our clearance, quick possession style and marking inside 50. But, yeah, I, I think the I think the crowd's capped at 10,000, isn't it? It's not going to be a huge crowd. Still, considering the numerical advantage we had over a team that's been there for, like, 15 years, um, <laughs> well, I imagine we're going to outnumber the Bulldogs. I, I did have a laugh, actually. You mentioned the wind. I did have a laugh. There was a couple of Bulldogs fans on the board in their, in their game, in their pre-game thread trying to tell everybody there's no wind in Launceston, that because it's in the Tamar Valley, it's actually <laughs> sheltered and there's no breeze. And I was reading that going, have these guys actually ever been to Launceston? It is, uh, and have, they been to, have they been to your park? It's an absolute hellhole. It blows a gale on, on the stillest of days. Oh. And, uh, so it does make me laugh sometimes when people on big footy and, and you know, and that certainly happens on airport too, they just get something stuck in their head and and no matter what you say, you just cannot convince them that, that what they're saying is absurd. But anyway, the other thing that I think will be interesting from the Bulldogs' point of view for, for us is is do they take the risk on Steph Martin? Now, I've been reading a lot that he has only been playing, you know, half a VFL game or half a practice game, whatever whatever the, the practice scratch matches are. 
that's not enough, I don't think, for for a ruckman to come into an AFL final. But having said that, can they afford not to? Because Tim English got pants by Draper, and, and if if they give up the first tap out of the ruck as frequently as they did against us last time, it's going to be a very, very tough game for them because their midfielders, whilst probably one of the strongest midfielders in the league, they seem to rely very much on getting their hands on the ball first from their own ruckman. They don't seem to have that capability to rove an opposition ruckman. Yeah, look, um, they have to take the risk with him. They, they have to. So I think he played he played 90% in, the, in their scratch match on the weekend and 75 the week before that. But those are those sort of 13-man scratchies that have you know, the intensity of a brisk walk. So uh, it's not necessarily indicative of what it's going to be like at, um, at senior level, but they have to take the risk. The, the whole game was predicated on clearance, winning the ball first and getting it forward, repeat entries. Because of their the personnel of their back line wasn't as strong as other teams, the way they defend is getting the ball forward, locking it in there, and out-possessing the opposition with inside 50s. So if they can't win clearance, which they haven't for the last three weeks, they get pantsed. And it, it's sort of telling that Tim English is a six foot nine, 205-centimetre, supposed-to-be ruckman. And they had guys like Mitch Hannon and Josh Dunkley and uh, who else was it? Lewis Young running around the ruck against Scott Lysett with English playing. So that probably just tells you where where their ruck stocks are at. But, yeah... I, it, they've got to they've got to run the risk of of um, Martin playing, or the alternative is sort of like you intimated, Bonds. Of you know, there's going to be some intern being paid five cents an hour to just go through every centre bounce attendance Sam Draper's ever been in to try find some sort of pattern to shark it. Because if they go Hannon or Young or English like they did, we'll dominate clearances again, which is probably one of the keys to the game, along with you know kicking efficiently for goal, which we have over the past month. Yeah, you don't have to talk to uh, to Essendon supporters about what it's like to go into a final without a ruckman. Uh, I, I'm sure oh. we'll still have nightmares about that match in Adelaide. Why would you bring that up, Dave? Thanks, Why would thanks. you bring that up? Simply from the perspective that you've got to, you can't go in without it. So I, I completely agree with Grizz that they'll take they'll roll the dice if in unless he's on one leg, and literally you know unable to run they'll roll the dice with him because it also means that they can throw English forward to, you know, somewhat try and cover Bruce, uh, who's going you know, to be a huge out for them uh, from not just the last time we played, but from the rest of the season. You know, I think he was top four goal kickers, top four, top three. So I don't see there's any way that if Martin can do more than walk, he doesn't play. Um, having said that, I'm not sure that, that necessarily will be enough to give them the first use of the ball that they need. Sam's been in good form. He came up against probably one of the best ruckmen in the league on you know, on Sunday in, in Grundy and held his own. So I tend to think that the game's probably going to be won or lost similar to last time on the strength of our forward 50 entries uh, and how well our forward line functions. They've kicked, I think they kicked 10 goals on the weekend against Port. They kicked five goals against Hawthorne in Launceston. They're going to need something up forward because I don't see five or ten goals getting a win unless it's absolutely pouring with rain and it's you know, one, of those, one of those games like we used to play against them at the Western Oval 
where it was, you know, four goals to three. Yeah, I think you're right. I actually do think that it, it raining is probably going to be maybe a negative for us in the fact that if it was dry and we could we could run a slingshot, you know, shootout style game plan, I just don't think they have the firepower up forward to be able to beat us, you know, in a one-on-one shootout. But um, having said that, they'll now kick 22 goals and we'll kick 21 and lose by a point now that I've said it. But at least it'll be an interesting game. The other thing I, I want to talk to about tonight, lads, and, and Grizz, I'll go with you first, mate, is, is the All-Australian squad. Now, obviously, Merritt, Parrish and Stringer from us have got in, and we'll talk about them in detail as well. But the one bloke I do, and I, I said I said a while ago that I, I feel like he's he's underrated. Well, he's not underrated, but he, it, it just gets forgotten how good he is. And I think, again, I think Jordan Ridley is incredibly stiff not to be in this, this All-Australian squad again. Now, I'm not saying he makes the final side. I'm not saying that that he's a, he's a lock, but does he have the right to feel a little aggrieved that he hasn't made it again? Um, I think he made the 40 last year, didn't he? He didn't make the, the team, but... Team, uh, yes, sorry. Yeah, uh, it's... Yeah, look, oh, he's a... He's, two things. First is, first is, sorry, he's a victim of his own standards. He's so consistently brilliant that he sort of just doesn't stand out as much as he should. Uh, I think the other thing is... It's a very stacked field, the intercept possession defender. When you think of guys like Jack, uh, Jake Lever and Tom Stewart, you know, Nick Haynes, those sort of players, it's a stacked field. So um, I'm not sure it's um, reflective of his position in the game as opposed to just um, there are some absolutely outstanding players in front of him. I, I think what people forget about Jordan Ridley is he's like 22. Like, it's unbelievable how good this guy is. He's barely played 50 games, and he's... I would say he's probably our second or third best player behind Zach and Jake. Parrish racks up the numbers, and um, we have some mercurial players. But without Jordan Ridley, I think our defense falls apart. He can play tall, small, intercept. He's the best kick in the team, or maybe outside Zach Merritt, the best kick in the team. He's stiff, but it's sort of understandable considering the opposition he's up against. But I, I think by the end of his career, which is probably another 10 years, he'll, he'll be in the the squad and the team soon enough, I'd imagine. Yeah, look, I think he's probably a bit stiff, but, you know, when you've got, as you said, guys like Jake Lever, Alir Alir from Port Adelaide, Stephen May, who's slightly different but still takes a lot of inset marks, Tom Stewart, his time will come. It was interesting reading an article in the paper yesterday that talked about how Essendon's improvement hadn't come from its young kids. It had come from players in their fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh years, and they included Ridley in that. I thought... I'm not quite sure you know as much about us as you think. Pretty sure this is his third season. His time will come. The three that are there pick themselves from us. And when you look through the, the squad, there's not too many players. I mean, it's very difficult to point to a particular player and say he shouldn't be there. Hugh McCluggage, Toot Miller, Clayton Oliver, Christian Petrarca, Sam Walsh, Bailey Dale, Bontempelli, Charlie Cameron. There's some pretty handy players in that list of, of, uh, of 40 I think Jake Stringer makes it, but I think considering how stacked the midfield is in the AFL as a position, I would imagine one of Zach and Parrish are probably going to get in. I, I doubt we're going to get both. I would imagine it'd be Parrish because of you know all the medals he's picked up this year, but I, I quietly think Zach's had the, the more consistent year. I think there's been a couple of games where Parrish has been tagged out of it, um, like against, um, I think it was Collingwood, 
and um, I think it was Melbourne again earlier in the year, whereas Zach's been more consistently brilliant. But all three of them have had all-Australian-worthy seasons. If any any of them are in the team, you'd go, yeah, that makes sense. But like Dave said, that's anyone in the 40, really. Look, I'll be honest, out of the three, if Stringham misses, I'll probably be the most filthy about that because there's not too many players rolling around right now that, that's, that do what he does, and that is, you know, get his, get his five or six centre clearances a game, goes forward, kicks a couple of goals, and, you know, also gets 16, 17 touches. Now, 17 touches or 16, 17 touches, not, it's not a lot in the modern game, let's, let's be honest. It, it is on the lower side, but he's just so damaging. He He's clearly shown he doesn't need... 35 touches to have an impact or, or doesn't need 44 touches like certain Hawthorne players um, to not have an impact. But <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's just for mine, he does stuff that nobody else in the league seems to do at the moment. And, and I think if anyone was to miss out of the three, I'd probably be most disappointed if he was to miss. Number one ranked player in the competition since round 14, according to the AFL player ratings and the number three ranked player all year, apparently. So yeah, I read the number three just, all year yesterday. Just a, just a ridiculous. It might be, yeah. So I think number one since round fourteen and number three overall for the year. If he doesn't make it in, it's it's bewildering. Like it's, he's had an unbelievable year. Well, there aren't too many players, as you said, that can do what he does. And they were they're actually talking about it on Fox the other night. When you look at the players in the squad. The only two players in the squad that I can see that can do what he does out of the middle and then go forward are Bontempelli and and um, Petrarca. And Petrarca's probably played more forward this year than, than middle, I think. I, I'm not sure how you could not have Jake in the side. And with Zach and, and Darcy, it's going to come down to whether they value Parrish's clearance work ahead of Zach's running uh, and, and delivery into the forward line. And I think if it was me, the fact that Das has probably struggled to break a tag a bit in the last few weeks would probably tip me slightly towards Zach. Uh, you know, for a bloke that people deride as not being damaging, he does seem to get involved in quite a few of our scoring chains. I think we're all probably on the same page here in that if, for example, Merritt and Parrish both missed out, you could look at the side and go, well, look, the midfield is a stacked midfield. It's hard to break into. You can you could sort of justify them missing out based on the fact that there are other mid there are other midfielders out there who are just as good as they are. But just with Jake, it's just a case of there really isn't anybody. I mean, Bonton Pally, he he doesn't hit the scoreboard as much as Jake. Petrarca probably hits the scoreboard. I mean, Petrarca probably plays a very similar role to, to Jake, but I actually disagree slightly, Dave. I reckon Petrarca probably plays more midfield than, than Jake does. So I, I actually think he's spent a little bit longer in the midfield this year than previously. So so you look at that, that group of three, and, and, and Petrarca and, and Jake, I think, both probably get in. I'd actually have them on, on both half-forward flanks, so we know that the the AFL will shove a midfielder into the half-forward flank who's kicked eight goals for the year. So, so one of them will end up on the bench. But, but yeah, I mean... Bontempelli is another one. He's been good this year, but I feel like I feel like start, I'm starting to feel like that Bontempelli's reputation is starting to outdo his body of work. He was very good early on, but he his back half of the season hasn't been that great. I think Fox Footy had the stats that from rounds one to twelve, he was the number one ranked midfielder in the competition, and then from round thirteen to the end of the year. It might have been around 14, yeah. From 1 to 14, he was the best midfielder in the comp. 
And then from round 15 onwards, he's been the 28th best midfielder in the comp. So he's dropped off a cliff dramatically in terms of his output. And you can sort of, um, I think the last three weeks, you can really start to tell that when Bontempelli wasn't engaged in the game, they struggled. When he, that first um, quarter and a half against Port Adelaide, Bontempelli was everywhere. And then as soon as he sort of got, um, taken out of the game by Port, the Bulldogs just fell apart. So I think the, it's a bit like sort of like Fife when he won a Brownlow after only playing 15 rounds because his form in that period was so good. I think Bontempelli's start of the year probably gets him in, but I agree with you. His re- reputation's preceded him over the last well, eight or nine weeks or so, to be honest. I don't think he struggled to get... I think he got less than 16 possessions on on Friday night in the end. I think someone I, I, I read or heard somewhere it was 14. 15 touches and a goal. Yeah, which is, you know, for, for a player of his reputation is a pretty poor outing. And, yeah, had Port kicked straight, they'd have been well in front of that game a lot earlier than they were. So it'll be interesting to see who does make the cut. I'm just looking at the squad and they've got asterisks next to players that have never been picked in the final All-Australian team and there's a hell of a lot of them so there's going to be a few new faces and i guess the the, the one real standout for me is no richmond players for a team that you know has dominated the past four seasons and and fallen off a cliff after we broke them in perth it, it certainly is and, and and there's 21 fresh faces picked in, in the in the squad uh so we could get a, a record for for the i think the most First time inclusions for a season was back in about 2012, where they, I think they had 14 or 15 newbies in there. I read that earlier as well. Um, so we could see that again here. And, and and you're right, no Richmond, no Collingwood, and no no Lowell North. So disappointed for those clubs. Collingwood North, you probably understand, but yeah, Richmond, they're a tough one because Dusty, I think, still was their best player for large parts of the year, but he didn't play enough games to get in really. Yeah, yeah. Look, the only one that I the only Richmond player that I would have had in the squad, and I'm not saying he would have made the team, was was Rewalt. And as much as I don't like him, he's a good player. And you know, that he showed his worth in that last few minutes against Hawthorne on on Saturday. Yeah, the goal he kicked from the boundary line, yeah, you know, wrong side, never looked like missing, and then to scramble one from the goal square. I think he was a bit stiff to miss out. Yeah, I think he kicked fifty one goals for the year, Jack mm. Rewalt, which sort of snuck up on me. He was only, I think, eight, seven or eight behind um, Mackay for the Coleman. So, um, but that's what Revolt does. He, he he kicks his two or three every week with the occasional bag, and, yeah. and he just sort of slides along and kicks um, uh, his forty to fifty goals a year, which again is probably a victim of his own standards. But I think there's nothing more pressing on the Australian selector's mind than recent form. I I I don't know what it is, but generally, if you if you have a good finish to the year. You can tend to get into the squad, and conversely, if your team has a shock and end to the year, like Richmond has, where they've dropped, I think, seven of the last ten, and plus a draw, you probably find yourself falling out of their calculations. There's one other bloke I just want to throw out as as I think was potentially unlucky, and I reckon your point about recent form, Grizz, holds firm when I when I when I say this name, and I, I think Taylor Walker was actually stiff not to get into the squad as well because because I, I look at I look at Jack Rewalt, and I go, well, Harry Mackay and Tom Hawkins both play that full four role. Is he better than them? No, he's not. So, okay, I can understand why. But then you, you look at centre-half forwards, and, and, I mean, Texty plays centre-half forward for a large part of the year. 
Am, am I crazy? I mean, he did kick 48 goals and he was, you know, single-handedly Adelaide's forward line for large parts of the year. It, it, it To me, he may, be, have, he may have some complaints about missing out. I think the PR disaster that would come from selecting him in the Australian squad of 40 I, would, have, would have been yeah, a, 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 a fair mop-up by the AFL. And yeah. like you said, there were there were other guys around like Franklin and Revold and, and Hawkins enough that you could justify his inclusion or his exclusion, sorry, on merit. But to, I think if you were to include him after the last three or four weeks he's had, um, there may well have been a riot. <laughs> we all know how important optics are to the AFL. No, that is very true, lads. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I um I had put that to the back of my mind when I was going through the list of blokes that I thought was was stiff in the, in the forward line before. So that is an excellent point. Um, and, and I'll withdraw my comment that he uh, was stiff. <laughs> Look, if he hadn't opened his mouth that day, then you you could have had a case. But unfortunately, <laughs> on his production, absolutely, you could make an argument. Unfortunately, though, like. Um, we all know that it's not always about on-field production. It's not always about. Uh, it's sometimes more about the optics for the AFL, and that I suppose it makes sense. There's a brand to protect, but as SM fans, that can be a touchy subject. So, lads, we will wrap this up. Let, by we'll talk about the, the matches this weekend. So, we'll start off Friday night. We have Port Adelaide versus Geelong over at Adelaide Oval. If you look back earlier in the year, Geelong actually got them. At Adelaide Oval, they've beaten by 21 points. I think Geelong probably has a chance. I'm not. I'm still not sold on Port. I don't know what it is about Port. I'm just still not sold on them. I know they did beat the Bulldogs by two points, but the Bulldogs are in pretty average form. So, so look, I'll, I'll probably tip Geelong in this one, Grizz. Where do you where do you see this one landing? Uh, I have Port. The big thing for me is um, Geelong since that game. It's at Port or any year you're referring to. Geelong have lost Tom Stewart and Mitch Duncan, and Port Adelaide have gotten back Zach Butters and Xavier Dersma. So uh, I think both teams uh, are probably uh, ha- are going to look pretty different. I think Port probably have the stronger team overall. And home field advantage, Port always play better uh, at home. I'm with Grizz on this one. I, I think Port will get there just. Geelong's form over the last week or so has been a little bit patchy. When they got out to 40 or 50 points in front of Melbourne, yeah, you could have put whatever your odds you like on them losing. They just never get beaten down there. And for them to let Melbourne back into the game like that, I'm not saying that they let them. but And I think Port will have gained a lot of confidence out of beating the Bulldogs, even though they didn't play well. I, I just think their form's a little bit better at the moment. So the next game is then, of course, the the Battle of the Bridge, which is being held down in Tasmania, and it'll be the third time that the Swans and the Giants have actually played each other this year. That The Giants did get the chocolates against the Swans at the SCG back in early April. I think it was about around... Th- Oh, about round six, I think they got beaten by a couple of points, and then and then they uh, of course had the the game at Metricon later in the year where, where the Swans got up by twenty six points. Oh, I'm still wary of the Giants, Dave. I'll, I'll be honest, the, the Giants to me are, uh, could be the surprise packer of the final. They still have a stacked side in there. They still have a lot of veteran players ready to rumble and I think the Swans you know the Swans still have Kennedy and, and Buddy obviously and and Parker and a few others but they do have a lot of youngsters so I, I think if the Swans don't turn up early I think the Giants could get the jump on them and, and put them away put them away early but yeah I, I suppose the other interesting thing for us is Buddy watch is, is does he get to the thousandth goal during this game 
Yeah, I think that's probably where a lot of the interest in the uh, in the game is going to be. I think Sam Taylor is it. Sam Taylor's their defender. There's yep, been uh, a lot of talk about him. I thought he played reasonably well against Franklin the last time they played, and he's certainly been in in good form uh, for them the last couple of weeks uh, against other opponents. It's going to be an intriguing game because there are so many matchups through the middle. You know, they're, they're stacked full of talent both sides in the midfield. Whoever gets on top, you know, their forwards are going to have you know, a, a day out. The the interesting thing will be again is is what sort of impact the weather has. I mean, I think Franklin needs what seven? Is it seven goals he needs to get to a thousand? I think so, you need eight. Eight. Nine ninety two. Yeah. Nine ninety two. Yeah. Look, eight goals in a final in Launceston, windy. You know, I mean, I think he kicked fifteen down there against North Melbourne one day, but well, fourteen. But uh, I think the, that's probably where most of the interest outside of Sydney will be anyway. I mean. Yeah, yeah sneak, they're the sneaky form team of the last three weeks, the Giants. They've beaten Geelong down in Geelong down at GMHBA. They pantsed Richmond uh, at Etihad, and then they did what they needed to do against Carlton, getting out um, sort of with no injuries and coming back from a pretty hefty margin. So um, there's sort of the, the sneaky team at the moment, Giants, and the Swans are in good touch as well. But I think these two have played in finals twice, and the Giants pants Sydney both times. So it's interesting. It will be a battle of the midfield. I, I I do worry about Josh Kennedy missing for the Swans. If he doesn't play, I'm not sure they're going to have the cattle and the physicality to go with GWS in the centre. Um, and we and we all know if GWS can get quality ball forward from clearance, and they're next on unstoppable. So I'll probably go with the Giants. And I I, I don't I would be surprised if the margins within four or five goals. To be honest. Well, Chris, that does bring us to Saturday night, and it's Melbourne versus the Brisbane Lions at Adelaide Oval. Now, Melbourne did beat the Lions earlier in the year. They played in the Giants Stadium. This was before the Sydney outbreak. It's it's crazy to think now that we were playing neutral games in, in New South Wales, but but we did, and, and, Mel- and Melbourne did get them by 22 points. It was sort of an interesting one for Melbourne because after that, directly after that game, they then went ahead and lost to Collingwood, got over us by 11 points, lost to uh, GWS, put away Port, drew with the Hawks and then lost to the Bulldogs. And since then, they've gone 98 points against the Suns, They nine points against the Eagles over there, 41 points over the Crows, and then, of course, got over the line against Geelong. So you would say that that Melbourne are probably peaking at the right time of the year, but you can't can out the Lions. And obviously, Joey Danaher could do anything in a final. There's probably a bit of excitement uh, amongst AFL fans to see what somebody of his quality can do in, in, a, in a top final, um, maybe not so much against Essendon fans. I'm definitely one of them that, that is going to watch this, watch that with with, with extreme interest. Um, but who who do you have? I, I, I think Melbourne will probably get the chocolates done on, on Saturday night. Yeah, I think at, uh, at Adelaide Oval, it'll be Melbourne. I think Melbourne play the ground really well, save that um, game against Adelaide in the year, which was sort of really random. If you watch that game over... I think I watched it the day after, and there were so many fluky things that happened. But uh, I think Melbourne are, are coming into really good touch. They had that lull about four or five weeks ago, and they're starting to whip themselves into some good form. I think the Lions are patchy at the moment, and you can't be patchy against Melbourne in this touch. I think it'll be Melbourne. And again, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think it'll be Melbourne by three or four goals. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Demons as well. Uh, their form the last month... Up until 
the win against Geelong, you wouldn't have necessarily said that they were world beaters in that, you know, three teams they beat, Adelaide, Gold Coast, West Coast, all finished well down the ladder, um, albeit, you know, they absolutely thumped Gold Coast. But, you know, I think Brisbane, you know, you could see they, at one point, you know, on Saturday night, it looked like they were going to lose um, before they finally, you know, extracted the digit and managed to uh, to get into fourth. So uh, the only the only caveat again is, is as per Bonds, that, you know, if, if Joe has a night out, uh, and, and sits on people's heads and he's kicking goals from the airport, then look out. And Dave, that does bring us to the final, to the, the final predictor of tonight, and that is the Sunday game. Now, my heart says we're, we're right up in this and we're a red-hot chance, but my head is just saying there is a reason the Bulldogs were top four for most of the year. Bontempelli, Trelaw, you know, Caleb Daniel, Josh Dunkley, McRae, it's a stacked side. They are a very, very good outfit. And yes, their last three weeks have been poor. But as we've said time and time again, it starts again in September. I just, I can't see them being off. I, I, I'd love to think that we're going to turn up and, and, and roll over them. And, and, and I do think that, that Draper's influence will be crucial. Um, and I do think that if we get first hands on the ball, Anything could happen, but at the end of the day, I just I just don't think it's going to happen consistently enough. And whilst I would love us to break the break the finals winning drought, I, I I do have to reluctantly tip the Bulldogs. But but how do you see the game? Um, I, I'm similar in that my head probably leans more against us than my heart, but um, I, I don't necessarily agree that everything just resets because we're playing finals, particularly this year without the bye. You don't have that extra week to freshen up, you know, to get rid of any niggles. Um, you know, they were playing for a top four spot on Friday night and couldn't get the job done. And in the last three weeks, they've kicked 12, 5 and 10 goals. You know, their forward line isn't functioning. They've lost Josh Bruce from, you know, the last time we played them. Uh, and, and I think that our forward line, particularly with, with Smith and with Waterman coming into a bit of form, um, Peter Wright, you know, four goals and a half. I think our forward line is capable uh, of kicking enough goals to get us over the line if if we can break even in the midfield and you know get enough of the ball going our way. So I'm going to tip the Dons. Uh, it's interesting. I think we should be really careful to read into too much, read into um, the last game we played against them too much three weeks ago. When you look at that game and some of the stats, I think they won the inside 50, 60 to 39. The the disposals were 370 to 321. Marks inside 50, 20 to 13. You, you play that game not 10 times with those sorts of stats. The Bulldogs win, you know, sort of nine times out of 10. The reason we won was we were just demolished in that clearance. Peter Wright kicked seven goals straight, which is just remarkable. And I think they hit the post. Yeah, they did it. They, did they hit the post. Th- yeah, they had, I think they hit the post three or four times. So if, yeah, they, yeah. If, if they kick two goals, two, from the, instead of four um, posters there, they probably win the game. But um, the key to this game will be clearances, get the ball forward, lock it in there, and um, goal kicking. The past month, here's our goal kicking. 16-6 versus Sydney, 15-7 versus the Dogs, a bit of a blip against Gold Coast, 14-14, and then 16-6 against Collingwood. If we get the ball forward and we nail our shots on goal, we'll be in it up to our eyeballs. But I think if... The Bulldogs get the game on their terms, which in the rain and the wind is every chance of happening. 
Um, I'm not overly confident that their midfield isn't going to get their mojo back. So I'm tipping the dogs reluctantly, but I'm hoping against hope sort of that um, we'll turn up. The key will be getting them early. If we can get them early, get out to a three or four goal lead quick and really put the doubt in their mind. Remember, the weight of expectation is on their shoulders. All the pressure, all the media scrutiny is going to be on the Bulldogs. No one expected us to make finals, let alone win one. So this is sort of a free swing in a sense. And the, if we get three or four goals up early, all that pressure is going to come down their shoulders. So I'm looking forward to it. I don't think we're going to get, we're going to get pants like we have in previous finals because we're not playing interstate team on their deck. But, um, yeah, I, I'm t- tipping the dogs, but hoping against hope. The last thing I'll just say about the final series is, is I do think it's nice to see different sides. So so if you look at if you look at the, the, the sides competing, you know, Port Adelaide, the last one a flag, you know, four. Geelong hasn't won one for 10 years. Sydney won one in 2012, but, you know, before that, 2006, and then you go back to 1933. The Giants have never won one. Melbourne haven't won one since 64. The Lions... Last one was back in 2003. The Dogs are the most recent in 2016, and obviously we we won in 2000. So, regardless of the outcome of the final series, I think it's it's nice to see different sides. And, and you know, if you, if you take out say the the Dogs and the Swans from the from the uh, equation, then then having a team win their first flag in in you know over a decade or a de- decade in Geelong's case, if they were to win it, is 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 probably a pleasing thing from the AFL perspective. Look, there's no doubt that they want to see different teams winning. They don't want to see as much as Richmond winning three flags in four years has probably been good for the coffers. You know, they want to see essentially every team winning a flag once every 18 years or near enough to to keep the interest in the competition. And, you know, for them, I think, you know, the ideal result would be Melbourne getting up. They haven't won a flag in almost 60 years. Then GWS, it would be their maiden flag were they to win. Brisbane, it's been almost two decades. There's not too many teams in there that they'd be disappointed to see in the finals. And I think it just keeps things fresh and it keeps things interested, uh, interesting for you know supporters. The last thing we want as a competition is to see you know the European-style soccer leagues where you've got the same four or five teams at the top every year and, and everyone else is just making up the numbers. Yeah, I, I'm really excited by this final series. I think the matchups work out well. I'm just happy Richmond aren't going to win another flag. That would be unbearable. Another 12-month of Richmond supporters on big footy. Um, as a mod, you just it's terrible grand final day. But I, I will say, just quietly, and maybe this belongs on the uh, unpopular opinion board, but if Port Adelaide win the grand final, I think Ken Hinckley becomes the sneaky, one of the best you know, coaches of the last two decades. He's made, coached eight years. If he makes the grand final, if he makes the um, grand final this year, it would have been... Sorry, three prelims in seven years um, in a grand final. Uh, you don't hear him talked about with Brad Scott and uh, sorry Chris Scott and um, Luke Beveridge and those sorts of guys, but he's every bit the coach. So if Port win, I think uh, we probably need to start having that discussion. But yeah, this isn't the Port Power podcast, so I'll get off that high horse. I'll be honest, Chris. If it was the Port Power podcast, he probably wouldn't get that much love because, for whatever reason, they seem to hate his guts on the Port Board, or, or at least half of them do anyway. But it that will make sense. Just- <laughs> that will do us this evening, gentlemen. Thank you both very much for joining me. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's it's a big weekend this weekend, and let's certainly hope that we can that when we run next week's podcast, it's it's not a seasoning review. It's a, it's a preview of the uh, the semi final against. Uh, who will we get the semi final? Will be will it be Melbourne or Brisbane or Geelong? Port Melbourne, it'll be the loser of Melbourne and Brisbane. 
I thought it was Zalu, I thought it was Zalu the report Geelong because the, oh, the, the, the 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 fixtures flip, don't they? So the pre so the um, qualifying finalists don't play each other in the prelims. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so if we if we win, we play the loser of one versus four, and then the winner of that match plays the winner of two versus three. Ah, Dave, okay. Davey's correct. So I take so it all yes. back. <laughs> no so, when I, so when I was doing my ladder predictor earlier in the year, I had us beating Brisbane next week with Joe missing from the goal square. And then I think I had the week after us putting Port out with, with Fantasia doing something similar. <laughs> Just a bit of a fantasy there. Well, hopefully those dreams come true, mate. But yeah, as I said, th- thank you both again uh, for listening and we'll see everybody again next week.